You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Suddenly, they were filled with boldness. They went out and they rocked the Roman world. So I want you to see that prayer in this mighty prayer of agreement, God shook the building, filled them with the Holy Ghost, filled them with boldness, needed to carry on their mighty ministry. So when persecuted, the early church prayed together, and that was the key to their world-changing ministry. It's prayer. Everybody say with me, it's prayer. A lot of times, it's easier to flee from a challenge and bend our morals instead of standing up for what's right. Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that instead of shrinking back when faced with challenges, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand your ground. When you embrace prayer, it gives you the strength to rise above any opposition, anchoring ourselves in His unwavering strength. In times of opposition, God's boldness fills us, enabling us to stand strong. Never back down for the sake of Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, as he begins his message, Critical Mass. I want to show you today how critical mass is enhanced and maybe even expedited when Christians pray together. Now, we've been talking about praying alone, how to pray alone, why we pray alone, going into the secret place and praying to the one who sees in secret and he openly rewards you. And we've been going through all these different things that have to do with you and I praying alone. But today I want to talk to you about us praying together because corporate prayer helps prayer reach critical mass. Amen? So I want to read one verse. It's very simple. It's so short. I want you to read it with me. Ready? Jesus said, again, I tell you this, if two of you agree on earth about anything you pray for, it will be done. What did it promise? It will be done. Say it again. It will be done. For who? You. By my Father in heaven, when? When two of you agree. It reaches critical mass faster. Now, the plane taking off, steel melting, and the balloon popping. Those are all physical. But let's talk spiritually for a moment because that's where the real reality of things exist. Spiritually speaking, a revival or a spiritual awakening or or a powerful breakthrough happens when critical mass in prayer has been reached. Now, I want you to know that prayer is real, and we've talked all about how God hears prayer. We know that he hears prayer. If we know that he hears us, we know we have what we have requested of him. But now when you talk about corporate prayer, corporate prayer is a very powerful thing. Jesus promised, let me read it again, if two of you agree on earth about anything you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I want you to notice he's placing a premium here on Christians getting together and locking hands and locking faith and locking hearts and locking requests and saying, Lord, we are agreeing together that you will do this. And Jesus said, God will hear you and he will answer. You will have, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Two are better than one. Isn't that what the Bible says? Let me read the verse. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I think we all know what it feels like to be under a great burden. We pray the best we know how, 
but we reach a place where we say, you know what, I'm out of energy, I'm, I'm, out, of, I'm out of zeal, I'm just feeling tired, I have fought this battle alone, I'm going to call somebody and I'm going to ask for prayer. And what you don't know is when you do that and you set more people than just one to praying, then the Bible says it has particular power when two or more Christians agree in the place of prayer that God would do a certain thing. It brings prayer to critical mass. It brings prayer to critical mass. So as it is in the natural, a person standing alone can get weak and tired, but a person standing with somebody or more than one other person can win a victory they could not win alone. And that's what it is in the place of prayer. Now, it's interesting to me that the Greek word we translate into the English word agree. If two of you agree, that comes from a Greek word, the same Greek word from which we get symphony. Symphony. Now, in a symphony, everybody is playing the same chord. If I've got a symphony up here, a stage full of musicians, and we're playing something in the chord of D, and one person plays in a chord of G or F and not D, you immediately hear them because it becomes what we call discordant. But if everybody is playing the same chord to the same rhythm, the same song, you have a beautiful symphony. And that's what Jesus, the picture he's painting, if two of you symphonize together, you're praying over the same thing in the same heart, with the same desire, the same goal, the same request, the same cord, you're saying, Lord, do this, save my lost loved one, or Lord, provide a job, or whatever it is that you're believing God for, a breakthrough of some kind, a miracle of some kind, that when two or more symphonize, come together and play the same chord, then Jesus said, that's what I'm looking for. There's something about two or more believers coming together and praying for the same thing according to the will of God. It moves the hand of God. Don't ask me why. I don't care why. I just know that it works. Amen? I know that it works. In prayer, it means we are like a symphony in the ears of God. A symphony, a beautiful symphony in God's ears. Our prayers are actually preserved by the Lord in a golden bowl or many golden bowls in heaven. That's how precious they are to God. They're like incense to God, but they're also like a symphony. Now we see the great power of agreement. How many of you, just out of curiosity, this week called somebody and said, pray for me. Boy, I need prayer. I need help. Come on, raise your hands if you did that. How many of you know that it would help you a lot if you and a few others got together and agreed for some things in your life. Come on, you need a breakthrough. You know, sometimes we get, need to get off of our island, get out of our isolation, and say, you know what, I'm fighting a battle that I'm not winning. I'm fighting a battle, I'm not getting a breakthrough. I need prayer, and I'm asking you to pray with me, agree with me, symphonize with me, come together and pray with me. This is what Jesus was driving at. He does not want a bunch of lone rangers in the body of Christ praying only for themselves, but there is power when we come together, and that's what I want to show you happened in the early church. Amen? I'm going to give you three examples of when this happened and what moved the early church. Now, there's many examples, but I'm going to give you three motivations or three reasons that the early church came together and agreed in prayer, symphonized together, and how it caused prayer to reach critical mass. And there was an incredible move of God. Is anybody in here want a move of God like I do? 
Come on, does anybody in here want to move with the Holy Spirit? Aren't you tired of the same old, same old mediocrity? Don't we want to see God breathe his spirit in a mighty and a fresh way on the body of Christ? Doesn't America need a move of God? Well, I really believe if my people who are called by my name, notice plural, will humble themselves, confess their sins, and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven Forgive their sin and the promise. Heal their land. When does it happen? It happens when corporate prayer happens, when symphony happens. Now, I notice in the Bible that they did this first when they were persecuted. They came together and they prayed together when they were persecuted. In Acts 4, we find the disciples arrested for preaching the gospel. Can you imagine being arrested for preaching the gospel? It's happening now in our world. It's happening in England, and it's happening in America. Hello, knock, knock, knock. Everybody needs to wake up. It is not the same America it was 30 years ago. But here in Acts 4, they were arrested for preaching the gospel and, oh no, healing a man. Arrested for healing a man who had been crippled from birth. And the religious leaders get them all together, and they try the intimidation game with them. And the religious leaders say to them, from now on, you are to speak to no man in this name, in the name of Jesus, Acts 4, 17. They said, we don't care who you preach about, Buddha, you can preach about Krishna, you can preach about Muhammad, you can preach about anybody you want. Of course, Muhammad wasn't back then, but I'm just giving you an example. But don't preach in that name. Don't preach in the name of Jesus, because there is power in the name of Jesus the devil is afraid of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus shakes things up. The name of Jesus reverberates through hell. When the name of Jesus is preached or taught or shared or witnessed about, it sends shockwaves through the spiritual world every time. Get into an elevator and say, Jesus, I love you. Get into a full elevator and say it. And watch what happens. You might as well have leprosy. They're hitting buttons to get off that they don't even need to get off that floor. But get on that elevator and say, Buddha, oh yeah, cool, Buddha. Krishna, oh great, Muhammad, oh that's great. But you say Jesus with authority and power like you love him, like you care, it rocks their world. Now, these religious leaders said to them, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice what they did. From there, the Bible says, being let go, they went to their own companions. Notice who they headed for. They went straight to their own people, straight to the church, straight to prayers. And they told them, all the chief priests and elders had said to them, so when they, the rest of the church, had heard that, I want you to read with me what they did, everybody. They raised their voice to God. How? With one accord. And that's the prayer of agreement. That's telling us they raised their voice to God and they symphonized like a great symphony. And man, they prayed. And they asked God to intervene. They said, God, you saw what just happened to us, and we're asking you to take this and deal with this, and we're just coming to you, Lord, in prayer. And they prayed unitedly to God. And I want you to notice what happened. Finally, their prayer reached critical mass. Everybody say critical mass. Their prayer reached critical mass. Look what happened. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Whole lot of shaking going on. You know, God likes shaking things. God likes shaking things. How many of you can say he has shaken my world every once in a while? Listen, God does it. In another time, when they were in the Philippian jail, they sang hymns to God and they prayed to God. And what did God do? He shook the prison. 
So here he shook the prison, and here he shook where they prayed. And look what he did. The place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now I want you to notice, they prayed together, corporately, locked hands, locked faith. They prayed for the same thing. They symphonized, and three things happened. The place where they were gathered was shaken, as if God was saying, I heard your prayer. And then they were filled. And then once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they had boldness, the boldness that they were struggling with since they had been threatened, don't preach in this name anymore. Suddenly, they were filled with boldness. They went out and they rocked the Roman world. So I want you to see that prayer in this mighty prayer of agreement, God shook the building, filled them with the Holy Ghost, filled them with boldness, needed to carry on their mighty ministry. So when persecuted, the early church prayed together, and that was the key to their world-changing ministry. It's prayer. Everybody say with me, it's prayer. It's not education, although I believe in education, but education doesn't rock things spiritually. No, 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 no. It wasn't education. It wasn't their pedigree. It wasn't their looks. They were ignorant fishermen and blue-collar workers by and large, and yet They prayed, and when they prayed, the mighty Holy Spirit fell. The building was shaking. Can you imagine if we were gathered in here right now, and all of a sudden this building began to shake, not by an earthquake, but by the power of the Holy Ghost? So when they were persecuted, what did they do? They prayed. Now, another time I see they prayed. They practiced corporate prayer when things looked hopeless. When things looked hopeless. Now, we read in the book of Acts, that the day came when wicked King Herod, quote, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now we're informed that he had already killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now you'll recall that the first four disciples that Jesus called were two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, two brothers, and James and John, John that wrote the Revelation in 1, 2, and 3 John. So two sets of brothers Jesus called first. He said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will change you, transform you. I'm going to completely revamp and renovate your life and your world. You're no longer going to catch fish. You're going to catch men. So I want you to follow me. So these two sets of brothers followed Jesus, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And it's that James that Herod had killed with the sword, that James. They had left their livelihoods. When Jesus called these four brothers, they left their livelihoods. It says that James and John's father was standing right there, mending the nets with them when Jesus called them and not him. He called the brothers and not the father. And he said, follow me. And the father watched his two boys walk away. They left father. They left mother. They left loved ones. They left their job, their career, their livelihood, familiar surroundings, and they began to follow Jesus everywhere he went, they went. That's discipleship. When he says, give it up, you give it up. When he says, walk away, you walk away. When he says, embrace something, you embrace it. When he says, let it go, you let it go. And they followed him. And it was this James who Herod thrust through with a sword, killed him. John, when he wrote 1, 2, and 3, John in the book of Revelation, had the memory and the pain 
of his brother James being martyred, murdered by this Herod, wicked Herod. So of the, of the four originally called disciples, one of them has already been killed, and now Herod's after the second one, the main man, Simon Peter, the rock, the strength of the early church before Paul came on the scene. And it says of Herod, because he saw that it, that is James' murder, pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. He put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. Now, four squads of soldiers, 16 men. 16 men were put around Simon Peter. Herod also bound him with two chains in between two other soldiers. So he's got him locked in prison. He's got him chained up, chained to a wall. He's got 16 Roman guards surrounding one man. You think he was uptight about Peter disappearing? Now, the Bible tells us what was in Herod's brain. He planned to keep Peter in prison for the duration of what's called the Days of Unleavened Bread. The Days of Unleavened Bread lasted eight days. Eight days. And after the Days of Unleavened Bread, it says he planned to bring Peter out, make him walk the perp walk in front of all the angry Jews, be tortured to their liking. The Bible records that he was going to do what they wanted him to do to Peter and then kill him. So here he is, Simon Peter, chained up, 16 Roman guards looking at him, two chained with him, to him, right there. And already his death sentence had been pronounced by Herod. After this holiday, this festival is over, I'm going to kill him. The church knew that James had already been martyred. So what would stop Herod from doing it again? It looked like a done deal. But the Bible says, I want you to notice something, everybody. We need to learn this, especially with the days that are coming. I want you to notice. Remember that I said this, because the days that are coming are not real positive for the church in the West. I'm not talking negative. I'm talking truth. I don't believe in lying. I'm not going to get up here and tell you, oh, everything's going to be great. I'm going to tell you persecution is raising its head. And so I want you to remember what I said here today. I'm not just up here whistling Dixie or trying to get by with another sermon. I want you to hear this now. The Bible says that when all of this came down on Peter, and again, he was their rock. Jesus had said, I'm going to make you a rock. He said, when you come back from your fall, from your denial, I'm going to reestablish you, and you're going to be a strength to the brethren. Peter was daddy. He was a rock. He was the lead disciple. He was the man who walked down the street and his shadow healed people on the curbside. This is Simon Peter, who walked on water. Yeah, he sank, but that boy walked on water for a while. Nobody else has ever done that. The Bible says that the early church did not sit wringing their hands going, oh well. They didn't give in to the inevitable and they did not cave to a spirit of fear. The Bible says, they said this to themselves, we got eight days to pray. We have eight days to pray, eight days for God to turn this thing around. I love that. And the Bible says, listen to this, constant. Everybody say constant. Constant. And that means strenuous, heartfelt, persistent, around-the-clock prayer was offered to God for him by the church. They prayed in prayer shifts. I don't know how it was split up. 
But they prayed all night long, all day long. They said, we've got eight days for God to move. Eight days for God to do something. Eight days. So let's pray. So they symphonized. They came together. And they were believing. They were believing for a mighty miracle, a breakthrough that somehow, some way, Simon Peter would be delivered. And God heard it. I love what follows. Oh, I love this. This blesses me. If it doesn't bless you, you need to get saved. Because on what was to be Peter's last night, everybody say 1159. We serve in 1159, 59 God. Have you ever noticed that? And I wish he wasn't that way sometimes, but he does that so that we will learn to wait and trust him right down to the last minute. So on the last night, what would have been Peter's last night on earth, in the next morning, Herod's going to bring him out and do what he had planned. But critical mass was reached in prayer that night. The Bible records all at once. An angel of the Lord was seen standing beside Peter. A light shone in the building, and it was not a 100-watt light bulb. There were no light bulbs, no fluorescent bulbs. This was holy light, divine light, angel light, spiritual light. He hit Peter on the side and said, get up. Then the chains fell off his hands. The angel said, put on your belt and shoes. He did. The angel said to Peter, put on your coat and follow me. Peter followed him out. He was not sure what was happening as the angel helped him. He thought it was a dream. I'm having a good dream before they kill me. They passed one soldier, then another one. And they just stood there stupefied. These soldiers, they were in a stupor. A Holy Ghost, supernatural, paralyzing stupor. They stood there like wooden Indians as he walked by them. Everybody say supernatural. Oh, please get a hold of this church. I want you to please see that corporate prayer, symphonizing prayer, the prayer of agreement with God's people released a mighty, supernatural, unbelievable, miraculous breakthrough and deliverance. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read it again. They passed one soldier, then another one. <laughs> I wonder if Peter waved at them. They came to the big iron door. Oh, I love this. They came to the big iron door that leads to the city, and it opened by itself. And they went through. And as soon as they had gone up the street, or one street, the angel left him. And Peter began to see what was happening. He said to himself, now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and has taken me out of the hands of Herod. He has taken me also from all the things the Jews wanted to do to me. And what gets me is he goes knocking on the door where everybody's in there praying and nobody believes he's there. Talk about believing God for your prayers to be answered. Nobody believed that they had been answered. The girl goes to the door and looks out and he says, I'm Peter. And she says, runs back in and tells the prayers, it's Peter out there. And they said, it can't be. That's impossible. Stop it. You're acting silly. Don't talk silly. Lord, set Peter free. We're continuing our prayer, set Peter free. <laughs> hey, isn't it good to know that even when you're not believing good when you're praying, God will still answer? And when your faith is faulty, he still answers? Here's the deal. Herod should have killed him immediately because when he gave the church eight days to pray, it was eight days too long. When he gave the church eight days to pray, it was eight days too long. A satanic assignment that would have crippled the church at this time in their early growth was canceled. And Peter's life was saved. So the early church prayed together when they were persecuted. They prayed together when things looked hopeless. Do things look hopeless for you today? 
What is it in your life that's looking hopeless? Today in Pastor Jeff's message, he showed you a relevant truth. In the face of impending challenges and increasing persecution, prayer becomes your steadfast anchor. As the church navigates stormy waters, the unbreakable connection with God through prayer becomes your source of strength. To remain faithful to the truths of Christ, prayer must be your constant companion. It fortifies your resolve, grants discernment, and empowers you to withstand adversity. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to give. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. A commitment to collective prayer deepens your spiritual journey and brings forth a fuller expression of God's grace. In the next message on Hardwired, Pastor Jeff emphasized the importance of staying committed to corporate prayer. While personal communion with God is essential, being a prayer warrior in the presence of fellow believers creates a symphony of faith that harmonizes with heaven. Corporate prayer binds you in purpose and amplifies your impact. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Acts next time on Hardwired. Hardwired.